the verse says, the firm denial of the existence of mind and the firm belief in the existence of Brahma, Self, is the sure way of conquest of mind leading to the experience of soul effulgent self. Swalok is asking beloved Acharya Pranam in the verse below who is trying to conquer the mind and experience the self? Are these not the tricks of the ego self itself? Please shed some light on the significance of belief as mentioned in the verse. I'll repeat the verse. The firm denial of the existence of mind and the firm belief in the existence of Brahma Self is the sure way of conquest of mind leading to the experience of soul effulgent self. So he is asking who is conquering the mind? And experiencing the self. <clears throat> are these not the tricks of the ego itself? Why are we talking of belief being significant? You are not reading the truth, Alok. You are reading something that is arising from the truth. The truth cannot be read. As long as the reader and the reading exist, there still is the dance of truth, the dichotomy of truth, the duality proceeding from truth, the shrouded truth. Shrouded truth too is verily the truth itself. It's just that the shrouded truth is not useful for you. Duality too is absolutely the truth. It is not really as if the truth is merely non-dual or advait. If duality is not truth, then what is duality? What else exists apart from the truth? Either you say that duality does not exist at all, which if said would negate the very statement because if duality does not exist, who is making the statement and to whom? So you will have to accept that duality does exist for you. And if duality does exist, then you must match it with the statement that only truth exists. Truth exists and duality exists, so duality too is truth. 
and if you want to still forcefully negate this statement you will have to say no duality does not exist and if I am the perceiver of duality then I too don't exist if you two don't exist then you can't exist even to make the statement that you don't exist but you are making that statement so you do exist and only truth exists which means you too are truth even the scriptures term the world or the ego or the person as false then you must know what they mean they mean that the person is the enveloped truth that the person is the manifested truth that the person is the truth divided into duality the truth is you see so free that it is free to divide itself into its own various fragments hmm? so we are saying that the world is true your experiences are true even your dreams are true even the apparitions are true even shadows are true imaginations are true concepts are true all of them proceed only from the truth and that which proceeds from the truth how can it be false so it is not a question of something being true or not it is a question of something being useful for you or not even poison is truth but it is not useful for you please you must go towards that which is useful for you stop saying that you are a seeker of truth it is a very meaningless statement if only the truth exists what are you seeking and who is seeking there can be no seeker of truth but you can be genuinely a seeker of relief because it is possible to be in the truth and yet be troubled why ah the statement sounds strange to you that one can be in troubled can be in truth and yet be troubled obviously it is possible because the truth is so free that it is free to even be the troubled truth so stop saying that you want the truth or that somebody can give you the truth you are already in the truth it is just that you are in the troubled truth and given what you are given what you have taken or assumed yourself to be you want the untroubled still silent absolute peaceful truth and even the adjectives or characteristics that i just now associated with truth have to be associated only in relation to your current state when i say that the truth is absolute and that's what you want i have to talk about the absoluteness of truth only because you live in the relative world and in the relative world there is trouble for you you want freedom from troubles you want freedom from relativity that is why i have to talk of the truth as being absolute otherwise 
even the word absolute is not really applicable to the truth. You live a life of tension, stress, conflict and that is why I have to talk of the truth as being peaceful. Otherwise, even the word peace is not really applicable to the truth. You must ask for a medicine. That's what you need. Do not ask for health. Health is not something that somebody can gift you or hand over to you. The statements that you are reading here, I repeat, must not be taken as the absolute truth. They are medicines. They are wonderful medicines, very, very potent medicines. But will you pick up a medicine and test it and ask, is this medicine same as health? Obviously, there is a difference between medicine and health. Medicine leads to health, but is the medicine itself health? Scriptures lead to the truth. What kind of truth? That kind of truth which is useful to you. Otherwise, anyway, everything is truth. Scriptures lead to the truth. And that is why they must be attended to and respected. But if you start scrutinizing the scriptures and asking, is the statement truth? then you might be disappointed because a lot of what the scriptures are saying is just in relation to your current state. Just as the medicine is always relative to the patient. Because you have a certain state, so the scripture is offering you an antidote of that state. You know what an antidote is? Let's talk of an antivenom. What is an antivenom? Is it something very nutritious? Is it something very wonderful to eat, absorb, assimilate? You very well know where the antivenom comes from. The antivenom itself is so closely related to poison. If there is no poison, you can't even make the antivenom. But the antivenom is useful. You cannot look at the antivenom and ask, is the antivenom really health? No, antivenom is not health, but it will save your life. It will save your life and maybe restore you to health. Not restore your health, restore you to health. Hmm? Now, will you be able to look at this statement with a little more sympathy? The words of the scriptures, if they are not sympathetically read, they will not reveal themselves to you. Are you getting it? You must see why the fellow is saying what he is saying. 
he is not just blabbering he would have been greatly at ease in his own pure silence if he is saying something it is to help you he is not offering you literature or knowledge the speaker of these verses the composer of these verses had no intention to be called a scholar or a writer or a poet he uttered these verses out of mere compassion like a doctor like a helper take them in that spirit he is not coming up with the claim that he is a knower of truth he is not writing or speaking or composing to display that he has arrived these verses are not i repeat a demonstration of somebody's knowledge knowledge or awakening or achievement or erudition whatever you may call it these verses are springing forth as an antidote as a method as an instrument that will help you so the instrument is free to take any form that is needed to do the task and what is the task the task is to help the reader that is the only objective and whatever it takes to help the reader will be done i repeat whatever it takes if the word belief has to be used it would be used if the word experience has to be used it would be used if the verse has to be presented in a way that does not appear pristine to the puritans let it be the author doesn't care the author is already established in the truth he has no thirst to be certified by you if he has one objective and if that can be called as an objective it is to merely i know i am sounding boring but it is to merely help and to help you he will say whatever is needed to help you he will not bother about accuracy he will not bother about being criticized centuries later he will not bother about critics he has no desire to be academically pure he will wander he will stray he will appear deviant he will be often self contradictory he will say one thing and then contradict it a minute later or a chapter later you will have to be very intimate with him you will have to listen to him as one listens to a well wisher if not a lover
if you read these verses like a scholar or analyze them like a critic or review them like a knower then you will miss do not do that hmm? now i'll tell you simply what the little verse is trying to say the firm denial of the existence of the mind and the firm belief in the existence of brahma self is the sure way of conquest of mind leading to the experience of the soul effulgent self the firm denial of the existence of mind what does it mean denial the word to exists in relation to what i want what is it that i want do i want stuff that comes and disappears that comes only to deceive no i don't want that let there be stuff that is ephemeral my way if i want my own peace is to not to deny that stuff is to deny that stuff importance are you getting it if i am a lover of peace if i wish my own welfare would i grant importance to something that is not reliable that will deceive me that is what is meant by the firm denial of existence of mind deny importance to mind stuff <coughs> would you reread it now hello would you reread it the firm denial of existence of mind means deny importance to mind stuff why must you deny importance to mind stuff because mind stuff causes sorrow it's simple obvious is it not what is it that you want why are you talking to me why are you listening to me sitting there at the other end of the globe why don't you have better things to do you're listening to me because you love peace don't you and you love peace that's why you must firmly denial the existence of all that which you know is conclusively bothersome if there is something that is so very deceptive that it manages to beat your inquiry beat your radars beat your discretion and still deceive you then one can be forgiven it is not one's fault there was something so absolutely wicked that it got the better of somebody what could one do in those cases there is not much suffering either suffering you know is tragic because it is extremely repetitive and it is even more tragic because it could have been avoided there is a lot of pain associated with living that just cannot be avoided and no spirituality 
talks of that pain that pain is just to be taken as a component of life part in parcel but why must one allow himself to be deceived knowingly what you know to be mischievous must be denied entry and importance that is the meaning of this part of the verse what you know to be wicked mean mischievous must not be entertained the firm denial of the existence of mind this part is simply saying do not fall in the same rut twice if you are deceived once it's okay but do not keep falling in the same trap in the same hole again and again hmm? deny importance to stuff that has at least been known to be false what do i mean by false all that is troublesome to you is to be called as false that is the only definition of falseness and the firm belief in the existence of brahm self now i know this makes you wonder how can one have belief in the existence of brahm self he is talking of belief because he is talking to someone who lives in beliefs had you really gone beyond beliefs would you be a reader of ribhu or would you be ribhu himself is ribhu talking to ribhu is shiva talking to shiva ribhu and other sages talk to those whose sageness whose shivahood is hidden potentially there but not yet quite there and that is why the word belief has its importance if he tells you that brahm is beyond belief tell me what do you get you always want something in your hand because right now you are just hands and legs you always want something in your mind because right now you are terribly identified with the mind and let's for a moment assume that ribhu says that there can be no belief in the brahm self because beliefs are only about objects and brahm is not an object wonderful to read great to hear but what does it give you how does it help you do you know of objectlessness objectlessness can be known only to those who are no more a subject but you firmly believe in your subjecthood don't you do you know what it means to believe in your subjecthood it means that you still exist as the seer the perceiver the experiencer aren't you the seer the perceiver the experiencer aren't you hearing these words aren't you looking at me in the screen and if you are still that how can you go beyond beliefs you live in a world of beliefs so the poet the rishi is giving you a belief 
that is of the highest kind. A belief that dissolves other beliefs. A belief that holds not much weight in itself but dissolves all the flab that you have otherwise accumulated. Yes, if you want to jump the gun and ask, but sir, what will happen if all the other beliefs are gone and this one stays back? Yes, you are right in your inquiry. Even this belief would ultimately disappear. But you know what? If all the other beliefs are gone, where would this belief stay? This belief rests only on top of the other beliefs. Please understand. Only when the believer is there, can there be any belief? When all the other beliefs are gone, it means the believer too is gone with them. And if the believer too is gone, who will carry this belief? So it is a great belief to have. This does not work only in one condition. When the other beliefs, instead of going, just hide themselves. And that often happens. And then you say, see, all the other beliefs are gone, but now I am of the firm belief that I am the Brahm self. No, you cannot merely believe that you are Brahm. If you are saying that you believe that you are Brahm, you would be carrying 10,000 other beliefs as well. They, however, might be hidden. Nobody can ever carry a single belief. It is impossible. Because the presence of even a single belief establishes the presence of the believer. And if the believer exists, why would he stop at one belief? He is carrying 10,000 other torment beliefs as well. If you let this belief do its work, it takes away the believer. Once the believer is taken out of the equation, all disappears. But make sure that when you believe that you are the Brahma Self, you know what you are believing. Believing that you are the Brahma Selves means firmly doubting all your other beliefs. Because the Brahma Self belief has no tolerance for your other beliefs. It's a very special belief. It does not coexist with other beliefs. So do not dupe yourself. Do not say, I am Alok, I am a green card holder. I am this, I am that, I am knowledgeable, I am athletic, I am a Hindu and well you know, I am Brahma as well. Don't get into that kind of self-deception. When you say you are Brahma, stop. Stop at Brahma because after Brahma there is anyway nothing. I am Brahm and then you cannot be Alok anymore. You cannot be Brahm, I repeat, and Alok. So have this belief. Of all the beliefs that are available to be had, this one is the most magical one. 
It kills the magician. Then the verse further says, this is a sure way of conquest of mind leading to the experience of soul effulgent self. It is a sure way of conquest of mind. What does it mean to conquer the mind? You will again have to understand this. No one wants to conquer the mind. Where is the mind? Show me. All these are mere metaphors. Conquering the mind, this and that. You simply want freedom from rubbish, don't you? You don't want to conquer the mind. You want a peaceful sleep. You don't want to live like an idiot. That's all that we need. Huh? Keep things straightforward. And if simple peace and freedom and stresslessness is what we want, why do we coin this kind of language? Conquest of mind then conquest of mind must be read as that in the mind which keeps you problemed, which keeps you suffering. That is what you want to conquer. Hmm? You want to conquer that which is against you, against your peace. And if something is against your fundamental peace, then you can rightly call that thing as your enemy. And enemies are there to be conquered. Hmm? You must identify who your enemy is and conquer that. Mind is not merely an enemy. It depends upon you. The mind can be a very good friend as well. Vivek or discretion is about telling the enemy apart from the friend. You must really know who is with you and who is against you. You must be able to look at your own tendencies and you must be able to look at the light within and you must know what needs to be supported and what needs to be ignored, despised, even suppressed. Conquer that within you, which you know is going to trouble you. I am not talking of supernatural powers. I am not talking of mystical realization. I am not talking of some uncanny understanding. I am talking of basic common sense. Don't you know where your demons lie? Don't you know what you are afraid of? Then why don't you plunge into the right action? Why do you keep acting as if you are in the dark about your enemy? 
if the enemy is lurking around and you pretend that you do not know the enemy would that really placate the enemy or would that only embolden and make the enemy more dangerous you know your enemy huh and if you do not know your enemy then no spirituality no acharya no ribhu gita can help you you know your enemy if you know your enemy don't support him that is called conquest of the mind and then finally the verse says this leads to the experience of the soul effulgent self obviously there is nothing called a dedicated or isolated experience of the truth but we are experiencing beings aren't we we keep experiencing all the time all over life all the places what is the quality of those experiences the quality of those experiences is the quality of the experiencer one road try this out if you walk on it with a troubled mind it is one particular road and if you walk on the same road with a calm mind it is a totally different road try this out of course you have known this i'll just remind you of this when you return from abroad or from a vacation after long and you look at the faces of your family members are they still the same faces when you look at your house the walls the objects do they still look the same huh? after you have taken a break and the break has helped in changing the climate of your mind do things still remain the same for you they don't your experiences depend totally on you because you are muddled within so the experiences too are muddled we do not really know what we are looking at and i am not talking of looking at god or something what i mean is that when you look at a man you have really no clarity as to what you are looking at when you are reading a book or looking at words you really do not know what you are reading that's what i mean i know this is not really glamorous but then this is life even if it's not glamorous you are living it right and that's the way it is glamorous or not that's what is meant by aiming for purity of experience when you really know what you are looking at then that is called 
experience arising from the self experience arising from the truth it is still not really an experience of the truth because the truth cannot be an object of any experience but you are now at least truthfully looking at the wall or at the man or at the train or at the road at least now you are not claiming that you already know the other person or the other thing or the other vehicle or the road now there is an openness a freshness in your perception hmm? you know this simple fact about direct perception is called the experience of soul effulgent self it would disappoint you because these words they have somehow come to mean very exotic things to you and what i am talking of is very very common place i am talking of the wall and the road but you know the wall and the road themselves can be very very exotic provided your eyes are clean <laughs>